From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Continental Rift. How a murder in a nondescript Canadian suburb triggered an international crisis. By Matthew Campbell, Ari Altstetter, Brian Platt, and Sudhi Ranjan Sen. Taranjit Singh Sujan was playing soccer when he heard the gunshots. At first, Sujan, 50, thought someone was setting off firecrackers next to Kabaddi Park, a green space in Surrey, British Columbia, just outside Vancouver. It was June 18th, Father's Day, and the park was busy into the evening, mostly with members of Surrey's huge South Asian community. Then Sujan saw two men running away from the Guru Nanak Sikh Gurdwara, a nearby Sikh temple. Sujan saw that the men, wearing black hooded sweaters despite the late spring heat, had their hands in the hoodie's front pockets, as though they were concealing something. Both had covered their faces with masks or bandanas and kept looking back as they ran. Sujan, who works as a caretaker for the Gurdwara, started running toward the back of its parking lot with another man, Bupinderjit Sidhu. They saw a dark gray Dodge pickup truck stopped near the exit. The driver's side window had been blown out, and shell casings littered the pavement. Inside was the temple's president, a prominent Sikh political activist named Hardeep Singh Nijar. Slumped toward the passenger seat, Nijar, 45, had visible wounds on his face, neck, arm, and chest. His flowing black hair, observant Sikhs don't cut it, had unwound from under his turban. Sidhu opened the door and began shaking Nijar by the shoulders. Are you okay, brother? Sujan cried. But by then, it was clear that Nijar was dead. Officers from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, RCMP, arrived along with an ambulance shortly afterward. They cleared away the crowd that had gathered outside the Gurdwara, cordoning off the area with yellow tape. And they began an investigation that would, by late September, explode into global headlines. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has accused Indian agents of involvement in killing Nijar, a Canadian citizen who advocated for the creation of Khalistan, an independent Sikh homeland in the northern state of Punjab. The government of Prime Minister Narendra Modi calls the allegation absurd and says Canada is harboring Sikh figures whom it considers terrorists. Modi's government also blames these figures for instigating violence within India. This account of Niger's murder and its aftermath is based on discussions with government officials in Canada, the U.S., India, and Europe, all of whom asked not to be identified describing internal deliberations, as well as members of Sikh communities in Surrey and elsewhere. Those sources shed light on how a killing in a Vancouver suburb escalated into an international crisis, one that raises broader questions about efforts by Western governments to turn India from a friend into something more like an unofficial ally. While stopping short of publicly verifying Trudeau's claims, U.S. officials have expressed deep concern about them and urged India to cooperate with police investigations. 
We have been consulting throughout very closely with our Canadian colleagues, and not just consulting, coordinating with them, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken told reporters in September. We are extremely vigilant about any instances of alleged transnational repression, something we take very, very seriously. India's Ministry of External Affairs did not respond to a request for comment for this story. Niger's death has also highlighted the Modi government's uncompromising attitude toward its critics, whether at home or overseas. Under the rule of his Hindu nationalist Bharatiya Janata Party, activists, academics, and journalists, especially those belonging to other religions, complain of an atmosphere where contradicting official narratives can lead to harassment or legal sanction. Abroad, groups that disagree with Modi's policies fear they're increasingly being targeted for disruption or worse by the Research and Analysis Wing, RAW, India's main spy agency. Nowhere is that more true right now than in the Sikh diaspora, an archipelago of immigrant communities across the English-speaking world. In recent years, activists have organized unofficial overseas referendums to demonstrate support for a Khalistani state, something the Indian government views as an unacceptable provocation, regardless of whether a role by India is ever substantiated in Niger's murder. Those communities have now received a chilling message. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com TechSF. Parts of Surrey resemble a sort of Punjab on the Pacific. More than 150,000 of its roughly 600,000 residents are Sikh, one of the largest such communities in Canada. A sprawling expanse of single-family homes, wide roads and strip malls, Surrey is an easy place to find businesses with names such as 88 Jalebi Junction. A Jalebi is a sugary snack beloved in India. And Sabzi Mandi Supermarket, named for the Hindi word for vegetables. Sikhs, who follow the monotheistic teachings of Guru Nanak, a spiritual leader who lived in the 15th and 16th centuries, are India's third largest religious minority, after Muslims and Christians. While small Sikh communities have existed in Canada for more than a century, large-scale immigration began much more recently, intensifying amid political turmoil over the community's status in India. In 1984, the Indian Army carried out a bloody assault on Sikh militants who'd taken shelter in the Golden Temple, the religion's holiest site. Months later, Indira Gandhi, the prime minister who'd ordered the operation, was assassinated by her Sikh bodyguards. Thousands were killed in the anti-Sikh riots that ensued in multiple Indian cities. As activists left India, Vancouver and its suburbs became a center for Sikh nationalism and sometimes militancy. The bomb that brought down Air India Flight 182, a Boeing 747 that exploded over the North Atlantic in 1985, killing all 329 people aboard, was checked into luggage at Vancouver International Airport, and the suspects in the case had extensive ties to the area. 
but local residents are quick to characterize that event. Before September 11th, the deadliest aviation-related terror attack in history, as an aberration. There have been no significant incidents of violent Sikh extremism in Canada for decades. Instead, the community's focus has shifted to peaceful mass organizing, including the Khalistan referendums. They have no legal force and are effectively symbolic, but India sees the votes as a vector for radicalization and has repeatedly complained about them to Canada as well as other countries where they've been held, such as Australia. No one has intervened to stop them. So long as it remains nonviolent, Sikh organizing is covered by the free speech protections that prevail in Western societies, and politicians have no legal basis to stand in its way, even if they wanted to. It would also be unwise for any Canadian leader to antagonize Sikh communities. Politically engaged and geographically concentrated, they represent a powerful source of votes. When former Prime Minister Stephen Harper took a majority of seats in Parliament in 2011, it was thanks in large part to victories in Toronto and Vancouver suburbs with significant populations of Indian and Chinese immigrants. Trudeau currently lacks such a majority and governs with the support of the left-wing New Democratic Party. Its leader, Jagmeet Singh, is a Sikh and the son of Punjabi immigrants. According to a person with knowledge of Indian foreign policy, officials in New Delhi view Canada as far less responsive to intelligence about what they consider Sikh extremism than the U.S. and U.K. Most of us have drawn our own conclusion, the person says. Nijar came to Canada in 1997, working initially for a plumbing company. After learning the trade, he started his own business. In his early years in the country, he had little time for politics preferring to focus on establishing his business, says Bhupinder Singh Hoti, General Secretary of the Guru Nanak Singh Gurdwara. But he gradually became more vocal and carved time away from his family and work to advocate for Sikh independence. He ran unopposed for the Gurdwara's presidency in 2019, and after taking over, he turned the temple into a hub for Khalistan activism. He was known for Sunday sermons in which he decried the rapes of minority women in India, as well as alleged extrajudicial killings by the country's government. He also led protests outside the Indian consulate in Vancouver, condemning what he said were atrocities against Indian Sikhs, Muslims, and Christians. He was particularly focused on organizing the referendums, for which voting took place in various locations around the world in 2021 and 2022. Around the same time, Hoti says, Nijar began getting anonymous phone calls, with the voice on the line threatening to hurt him or his family. According to Hoti, Nijar also received warnings from the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, the country's primary spy agency, that his life was in danger. Nijar refused to tone down his activism. In April of this year, he announced during a Sikh festival that the Khalistan referendum would be coming to Surrey on September 10th. RAW, the Indian Intelligence Agency, was set up in the aftermath of the 1962 Sino-Indian War, in which Chinese forces blindsided India with an attack on the country's disputed Himalayan border. Amid continuing tensions with China as well as Pakistan, the Indira Gandhi administration concluded that it needed a dedicated external intelligence agency and created RAW in 1968. Unlike the Central Intelligence Agency and other U.S. spy organizations, which are regulated by the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, it's not subject to parliamentary oversight. RAW has been accused of carrying out covert killings in the past, largely in India's own region. 
In the most sensitive overseas operations, Indian personnel are rarely used, according to people with knowledge of the agency. Instead, RAW tends to contract out the work to local factions that might have a pre-existing grievance with the person being targeted. There's no formal process within RAW for authorizing such action, the people say. It's a gray area, left to the discretion of the secretary, RAW's top official, and influenced by his tolerance for risk, as well as his sense of how much political backing he might receive. The agency has never been headed by a woman. Although the secretary may consult with India's national security advisor to ensure that activities are, in intelligence parlance, deniable, the prime minister is never informed. From New Delhi, officials were watching Nijar warily. India had been providing information about him to Canada for the better part of a decade, according to people familiar with RAW, saying, among other things, that he'd left India in 1997 using fake papers and an assumed name after being questioned by police in connection with the assassination of a Punjabi politician. In 2016, India had accused Niger of running a terrorist training camp in a rural area outside Vancouver. Canadian police looked into it, but no charges were laid. The allegation was also dismissed by the mayor of the community where the camp was said to be. New Delhi formally designated him as a terrorist in 2020 and later alleged he'd been part of a conspiracy to murder a Hindu priest. But Canada took no action against him. By the end of last year, according to the people, the Indian security establishment was increasingly concerned about what it saw as Niger's potential to harm the country's interests, and patience was running thin. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com TechSF. With the beginnings of a bushy black beard, almond-shaped hazel eyes, and long hair bundled under a black head wrap, 21-year-old Balraj Singh Nijar bears a striking resemblance to his father. His voice cracks with emotion during an interview with Bloomberg Businessweek, but he remains composed as he narrates the events of June 18th. That day, he and his family presented Niger with his Father's Day gift, a new pair of jeans. Niger joked that because he was on a diet, they might be too loose for him. He then departed for the Gurdwara, arriving mid-morning. At noon, he gave one of his regular Sunday speeches, in which he told congregants that he believed the Indian government was after him. Niger called Balraj around 8 p.m., telling his son that he was heading home and inquiring about what was for dinner. Vegetarian pizza, Balraj told him. As Niger pulled out of the Gurdwara parking lot in his pickup, a white sedan began moving alongside his flank. A surveillance camera on the second floor of the building captured the movements of both vehicles. The footage was described to Businessweek by temple officials who reviewed it. The sedan then merged into Guru Nanak Way, a short street that runs through the Gurdwara grounds, ahead of Niger. It proceeded to the back exit of the property, where Guru Nanak Way intersects a larger thoroughfare, 
then stopped, blocking Niger. That was when the two assailants, who'd emerged from a glass shed on the edge of the Gurdwara property as Niger started driving, approached the pickup. According to witnesses, one was heavyset and on the shorter side, while the other was taller and slim. They fired rapidly for perhaps five seconds. The white sedan turned onto the larger road, 122nd Street, and out of sight. And the shooters started running. Sihaj Singh, a gas station employee who was playing soccer at the time, took off after them. He followed the pair into Cougar Creek Park, a nearby green space with exits onto several residential streets, shouting stop in Punjabi. Just before crossing a small bridge, one of the men turned around and pointed his weapon at Singh and another witness he was running with. Frightened, they stopped, but then they decided to continue the pursuit. Singh made it to a cul-de-sac at the edge of the park in time to see the gunmen get into another sedan, this one silver. Police later identified it as a 2008 Toyota Camry. Then they sped off, blowing through a stop sign at the end of the block. Balraj was at home when his phone rang. It was a family friend telling him his father had been shot. He rushed to the temple with his mother and younger brother. When they arrived, Balraj tried to run to Niger's pickup truck, but police had cordoned it off. I was adamant about seeing what happened. I wanted to confirm it or see him, if it's a lie, Balraj recalls. Initially, an RCMP officer refused to tell Balraj whether his father was the victim of the shooting. It wasn't until late that night that the police delivered the news officially. Over the next several days, detectives from a police unit called the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team, or IHIT, began working the case, pulling surveillance camera footage and interviewing congregants at the Gurdwara about Niger. Within the community or people that knew him, Balraj says, everyone was saying from the first day it was India that did it. By the end of July, investigators had reason to believe they could be correct. Trudeau and other Canadian officials haven't commented publicly on the nature of the intelligence they say implicates India. But people familiar with the matter say it included the results of surveillance on Indian diplomats, as well as more circumstantial information that was provided to Canada by the U.S., one of its partners in the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance. The others are the U.K., Australia, and New Zealand. In early August, security personnel briefed Trudeau's office about the evidence, according to a Canadian official with knowledge of the process, and Canada began discussing the matter with its Five Eyes partners. The Canadian government also reached out to India, two people with knowledge of the situation say, and ultimately shared details of some of the information it had obtained. Most of these government-to-government discussions were conducted through Jody Thomas, a veteran civil servant who serves as Trudeau's national security advisor, although other senior diplomatic officials, including Minister of Foreign Affairs Melanie Jolie, were also involved. Trudeau had a looming diplomatic headache. The Group of 20 summit of major economies was being held in New Delhi in September, with Modi welcoming world leaders to the Indian capital. Canada, the official says, wanted to ensure that its closest allies were prepared in case its suspicions became public beforehand, or even worse, during the meeting. Trudeau discussed the matter with President Joe Biden and UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak ahead of the event. According to a person with knowledge of the situation, Canada also warned European allies such as Germany that Trudeau would raise Niger's killing with Modi in New Delhi, but didn't ask them to take any action on the issue. In retrospect, the signs of a major breakdown in India-Canada relations were obvious. 
At the start of September, the Canadian government put negotiations for a trade deal with the world's most populous nation on hold. It offered no substantive explanation. In a briefing with reporters at the time, a Canadian official said the country had paused to take stock of the process. And at the G20 itself, Trudeau and Modi didn't hold a formal meeting. Instead, they had a brief pull-aside in which Modi, according to a statement from India's Ministry of External Affairs, conveyed our strong concerns about continuing anti-India activities of extremist elements in Canada. The following week, Trudeau was back home. It was clear, the official with knowledge of government deliberations says, that the prime minister would likely have to speak publicly about Canada's suspicions at some point, either because the information would come out in media reporting or in an eventual criminal trial. Being seen to have swept Indian involvement in Niger's death under the rug presented significant political risks. The Trudeau government had spent the past several months battling allegations that it had ignored intelligence reports suggesting that the Chinese government had sought to influence Canadian elections. A second scandal involving alleged interference by an Asian superpower, this time one suspected of ordering a killing on Canadian soil, could have been fatal to his premiership. As it happened, the Prime Minister didn't have much of a choice. The Canadian Broadcasting Corp and Toronto's Globe and Mail had both gotten wind of the intelligence on Niger and were preparing to run the story. On Monday, September 18th, Trudeau told Parliament that Canada's security services were actively pursuing credible allegations of a potential link between agents of the government of India and the murder of Niger, something he called an unacceptable violation of our sovereignty. Jolie announced that Canada was expelling an Indian diplomat who she identified as the head of RAW operations in the country. It was the middle of the night in New Delhi when Trudeau spoke. Vinay Mohan Quatra, India's foreign secretary, was on his way to the airport, where he was departing for the annual meeting of the United Nations General Assembly in New York. He immediately turned around. According to a person with knowledge of the matter, India had expected Trudeau to continue using diplomatic channels to discuss the Niger issue. A public statement, on the floor of Parliament no less, was a surprise, and one which demanded a response. In their remarks, Trudeau and Jolie had both urged India to cooperate in the investigation into Niger's murder. That, the Canadian official familiar with the process says, was intended to offer an off-ramp to Modi, by giving him the option of handing over the matter to law enforcement. He declined to take it. Instead, India reacted furiously, with the Ministry of External Affairs thundering that such unsubstantiated allegations seek to shift the focus from Khalistani terrorists and extremists who have been provided shelter in Canada. Shortly thereafter, India suspended the issuance of new visitor visas to Canadians. Commentators in the Indian press and on social media where nationalist voices are increasingly prominent, echoed that criticism and added another, especially after Biden administration officials weighed in with their concerns. Hadn't the U.S., under both Democratic and Republican presidents, been pursuing terrorists around the world for more than two decades, dispatching them by drone strike if necessary? Even if India had killed Niger, they asked, why should its security concerns be accorded any less weight? Western countries are weighing their reactions to Trudeau's allegations carefully. Apart from the U.S., those that have addressed the matter publicly have made equivocal statements, calling for investigation but stopping well short of endorsing Canada's claims. In an era of rising confrontation with China, no government wants to lose the chance at having India as a partner, nor jeopardize access to its growing economy. 
Brantz, for example, hasn't formally commented on the affair. A person familiar with Franco-Indian relations says that Paris is in the uncomfortable position of courting Modi as a security partner and as a customer for French weapons exports, while growing increasingly concerned about his government's illiberal tendencies. There are signs that the U.S., too, is looking to segregate the Niger matter from its broader relationship with India. When Blinken met on September 28 with India's Minister of External Affairs, Subramanyam Jaishankar, the official summary of their discussion didn't mention the killing or any euphemism for it. Still, the matter will be hard to ignore completely. The drone strikes of the U.S. War on Terror were conducted in minimally governed countries, such as Yemen and Somalia, and eliminated individuals for whom there was little sympathy in any major capital. Ordering a hit on the streets of a G7 nation is another matter entirely. This is a precedent which must be addressed, and there's a strong interest in having the Indians agree to that principle, says John Curtin, a professor emeritus of political science at the University of Toronto and the director of the G20 Research Group, which studies the economic bloc. There's no indication so far that Canada will make public the specifics of its intelligence on the Niger killing ahead of a judicial process. The Trudeau government's strong preference, the Canadian official says, is for the case to go through normal law enforcement channels, followed by charges and a public trial, which could be compromised by the premature disclosure of information. If Canada's allegations are accurate, such a proceeding could provide an unprecedented window on a state-sponsored assassination and on the shadowy mechanics of RAW's overseas operations. In the meantime, Sikh activists in Surrey and beyond are looking over their shoulders. In late August, a little over two months after Niger's killing and three and a half weeks before Trudeau's statement in Parliament, two police officers made a late-night visit to the home of one of his close friends, fellow Khalistan activist Gurmeet Singh Tour. They served Tour with a document called a duty to warn, telling him that the hour of their visit was an indication of its urgency. It read, in part... The police have determined, by way of one or more investigative avenues, that your life may be in peril. At this time, we are unable to provide you specific details of the threat. The document contained a section for Tour to confirm that he understood what he'd just been told by ticking yes or no. He marked an X next to yes and signed his name. With Danielle Bukove, Jordan Fabian, Jennifer Jacobs, Ian Marlowe, Michael Nienaber, Anya Nussbaum, and Natalie Obiko Pearson. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.